I've come to a new appreciation of this father of the prodigal son. Uh, We call it the parable of the prodigal son, but in a very real sense, he was a prodigal father in the original sense of the word. The word prodigal means lavish. It really doesn't have a negative connotation. Uh, it's, it's come t- to take that on because of being associated with this boy. Uh, he was extravagant. He was wild. He was lavish in the wrong way. But the father was lavish in his forgiveness. So in a very real sense, it's a prodigal father. But I believe there are two prodigals in the understood sense of the word here, there's the prodigal who left home and there's the prodigal who stayed home. And uh, that's the elder brother. So we'll just read those closing verses. I think you know what happened in the main part of the story. Verse 25, now the elder son was in the field and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said unto him, thy brother is come and thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy command thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he, that is the father, said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet, it was fitting, it was appropriate that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Tremendous story. And this part of, though it seems like an anticlimax, is just as inspired as the first part. I fear that the common interpretation here, that is that the elder brother represents the self-righteous hypocrite, it misses the mark perhaps a little. It causes many believers, I'm afraid, to neglect to examine their own hearts. And their attitude might be, well, you know, at times I can be pharisaical, at times I can be legalistic, but I I know in my heart of hearts that I'm not a hypocrite. And so we just kind of dismiss any pointed application to our own case. But I believe the true interpretation of the elder brother here is he represents the real Christian who is perplexed with God's mysterious dealings. Notice how the father appeals to his elder son, says, son, thou art ever with me in verse 31. That's hard to stretch that to refer to an unbeliever, I'm afraid. And uh, nothing about this parable suggests that this elder brother, the elder son resented having to serve his father those many years. When he said in verse 29, lo, these many years do I serve thee, uh, the father did not contradict that at all. And I, again, I'm not going to be dogmatic about this or part fellowship with anybody that has a different interpretation, but I hope that we'll, you'll agree with some of the things I share by way of application today. Uh, I think a couple of the problems here with the, with this elder brother, elder son, we'll refer to him as, is 
Number one, he stumbled at the mysteries of life. Look at the big picture again. A wicked son, the younger boy, who had shamed his father and no doubt robbed others of their innocence in the process, living in unrestrained sin, is now experiencing more joy than one who grew up from a child with a consistent religious education. That's a fair summary, a big picture. Now we know that genuine believers are subject to stumbling over the mysteries of life, over the providence, the sovereignty of God. Probably the classic example of that in the New Testament is John the Baptist. And remember what Jesus said about his forerunner. He said, among those born of women, there hath not arisen a greater. That means John the Baptist was as great as any man who'd ever lived up to that point. Amazing statement. And yet we know what happened because he took a stand for righteousness, even in the court of uh, Herod, reprimanding him for consorting improperly with his brother's wife. He was thrown in prison and the wicked woman involved was not satisfied till she had his head brought on a platter, on a charger. While he was in prison, he got very discouraged. I think probably we would have too. Jesus was so long in, in asserting himself as the Messiah. Jesus didn't come and check on him. Jesus didn't do anything to relieve his suffering. Jesus didn't deliver him from prison like he could have done. And we see what happened in the book of Acts with Peter. All he did was send him a little communication and give him more food for his faith to feed on. He said, um, tell John what you see and hear. Tell John that the blind see and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. And he said, tell him one more thing. Tell him, blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me, whosoever shall not stumble in me. We think of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five. There are eight blessed ones there, but here's a ninth one that is equally important. Blessed are the unoffended. Blessed are those who do not stumble at the sovereignty of God and the mysteries of life. What a blessed, blessed lesson to learn. Not easy to learn. We have a family in our church who's going through an unbelievable trial right now. Their 32-year-old son-in-law just had a major stroke suddenly. He was a picture of health, nothing wrong with him. For several days, his life hung in the balance. He wasn't expected to live, but now three months later, it, it appears that he will recover, but he'll be an invalid the rest of his life, paralyzed down one side completely. But on top of this burden, his wife, his young wife, with all the pressures on her, has been plagued by a stalker who broke into her townhome and traumatized her. Just yesterday, she learned that her invalid husband's ID has been stolen and almost $1 million in debt in occurred, or incurred, ruining their credit at a time when they're trying to sell their townhome and buy a single story uh, or build a single story handicap equipped home. You talk about a Job-like convergence of trial.
and we're doing the best we can to rally a, around her. And But the most we can do is pray for her in this very way, that she will not be offended at the mysteries of life. Now, the father's answer here in verse 31 speaks volumes when he said, son, after he let the boy vent, he said, son, and this is not the usual word for son. It's not the son that's, it's not the word used to refer to the prodigal son. This is the word technon, which means born one. It's a term of endearment. He said, son, thou art ever with me. That speaks volumes. What an honor to have the father's presence. That's the ultimate blessing. What is one hour of unspoiled exaltation that the prodigal experienced compared to a whole lifetime of peace and fellowship with the father? Other things I'd love to say about that, but let me move to the second point that I think is equally important. Not only did he stumble at the mysteries of life, this older brother and pictures a lot of believers were prone to do that. But secondly, he failed to see the big picture this big boy acting like a little boy, having a temper tantrum and a meltdown, he couldn't see the mercies that he had experienced by being with his father and not being in the far country where his baby brother was. Oh, how much he had been spared that his prodigal brother would still have to deal with. Think about that for a moment. I think we fail to think about this. There would be awful flashbacks, the haunting guilt, the nightmares, we talk about PTSD, something similar to that here, the traumatic effects and memories. Think about the frailties to which habitual indulgence in sin had made him liable. Did this older brother think for one moment that uh, one night of celebration over the repentance of his younger brother would wean him forever from any strong urge to sin? How could he be jealous of his brother? He should have not only rejoiced, but if he saw the big picture, he should have pitied him. How could he grudge him one hour of unspoiled joy when he would, that boy, the younger boy would need more than that to overcome the fearful trials and struggles that were to come? There's so much more that could be said here, but I hope when we read this story again, we'll kind of dig beneath the surface a little bit. Let's make sure that we focus on what we do have by way of fellowship with the Father and, and not concentrate on what we are complaining about, what we don't have. There's cause for great rejoicing when one sinner repents. That's the whole thrust of this trilogy of parables, not just the one parable here, the parable of prodigal son. There's joy over one sinner that repents, but let's not forget sin never pays. It's never worth it to leave the house and presence of the father for the far country. And so the thing that's dealt with over and over again in the Old Testament comes to mind. Don't envy sinners, even though we are, are, are mystified by the prosperity of the wicked. Let's desire the joy and glory of the father in the reclaiming of sinners. And may God help us to be like the true elder brother that friend that sticks closer than a brother, the one who, unlike the older brother in this story, rejoices with the father and with the fellow servants when the prodigal comes home. Let's be like the true older brother, the Lord Jesus. Thank you.